Do the trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Our bestseller is all they're cracked up to be. Here at Terrible Book Club, we explore whether you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. You ever passed a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. Welcome to part two of episode 182 of Terrible Book Club. We had so much to say about this book, and it was nearly 500 pages, so we've decided to structure this review into a two-parter here. Today is part two, so if you haven't listened to part one from last week, you should probably do so. Continuing with our discussion after the Fiero affair, Alphaba decides to go to the Oz equivalent of a nunnery, I suppose. They're, they're, they're called sisters, so, I mean, what else is it going to be, right? Does she just make a conscious choice to go to St. Glinda's Chapel, or does she just wander? She brought there? So, from what I understood, they sort of, like, have a shift in perspective, and so, like, she is found at the door of is the that nunnery, yeah. sort of, like, by one of the sisters and they're called monts yes and her hands are covered in blood and she's just like catatonic basically and so they bring her in and then we like fast forward seven years mm. and it starts with this other mont sister preparing the passenger for her journey out into the vincus and then it is revealed that the passenger is just Elphaba, and then it sort of shifts over to Elphaba's perspective within a paragraph or two after that and this is where we like come to understand, oh, time has passed. It's like seven years, I believe, is the amount. Oh, right. And the other important bit about her coming in from the streets after, uh, I think maybe an important bit of context is they find Alphaba, her hands covered in blood because she went back to her apartment after the failed assassination because she was thwarted by a parade of children and didn't trust her aim, I guess. Um, she goes back to her hideout apartment and finds that Fiero was probably taken and murdered? Was brutally murdered, I think, in her apartment. Because we sort of oh, end okay, that okay, part okay. with Gale Forcers. Gale Forcers being sort of like the stormtroopers, the stormtroopers of, of the Wizard of Oz um, in her apartment where they murder him. Right. And so I'm assuming the blood is from that. Yeah. Uh, so she's like, oh, my God, because of me, he died. And then, I don't know, she ends up. At St. Glinda's. Not to be confused with our Glinda. This is the St. Glinda. Um, and notably, when she wand- wanders in or is taken in, the woman who is comforting her is Mother Yackle. And that's a callback to way earlier in the book when we find out that Melina went to a Mother Yackle to get, or Nanny, someone went to Mother Yackle to get a potion that caused Nessa Rose to be born without arms. And we also find out that, you know, Mother Yackle shows up at the Eyes Wide Shut party 
And then here she is again, conveniently, also in this convent. <laughs> so remember. Gets around. Remember. She's, re- she's really busy, that, that Mother Yakko. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, I think it's left a little ambiguous of like, is this literally the same person? Is this like an archetypal sort of like, I don't know. Like witchy woman person. Ooh, I disagree wholeheartedly. You think she's definitely the same person? Yeah, because yeah. the grimoire has a whole section on like creepy critters, and Mother Yackle is one of them. And her name is slightly different, but it has Yackle in it somehow. Mm-hmm. And she's described in sort of a similar way. So I think Okay. I although, forgot about that although, part. That makes sense. Although I do agree with you in that Mother Yackle could probably inhabit other bodies if she wished, but it does seem as though she's the same entity. Got it. Works for me. Yeah, I think. Anyway, nunnery time. She's in this convent for a period of time, and it seems it's unclear because we we happen upon this when she is leaving or being made to leave, I believe. I don't remember. Does anyone remember why I believe she has been made to leave. No, I don't. I think she wants to go to apologize to Sarima to get forgiveness for having her affair. I thought perhaps she was encouraged to do that by the other monks at the convent. I don't remember. I, I also don't know that it matters. It doesn't. Does it not matter? Yeah, maybe we just we just don't. It's fine. I don't remember. The big point here is that Alphaba now has a son. Lear. Lear. It's played off at the start as if oh it's we're not sure who this person is like yeah, it's who just this kid belongs some to some boy that is made to go with alphaba since he's been hanging around the convent with alphaba as she recovers i yeah. suppose and and alphaba from the beginning treats lear like shit right mm-hmm. like just com- yeah. like ignores him completely like i don't even want to bother with you you're just an annoying kid that's on this journey with me and it is unclear to me whether Alphaba truly grocks that Lear is her son or not. I think she does. It's presented in the book as though she was so out of sorts when she arrived at the nunnery for so long that she doesn't remember giving birth. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. What say ye? I'm not going to sit here and talk about how disassociative disorders, how disassociative they can get. So who knows? Like I, I'm, I can't say as to whether that's realistic or not. I have, I have no hard, critical training. And... I have such a hard time buying it. It, I, I, I will agree that I have a hard time buying it. Yeah, like whether or not it's technically possible, I'm sure that some people can be so in their grief that they don't connect with an experience. But it says that she does not remember giving birth. Not that she like isn't interested in Lear. It's like she completely does not recall carrying and birthing a child. And I I don't know, it's just it's tough because presumably she would have had him seven to nine months into the nunnery, right? Because if the fear if the affair was only two months long and then she ends up there two months in. I don't know. It just seems a little hard to believe for me. I will I will back you up on that. It's hard to buy. Especially because we've we've and I think Especially in this case, because this book has thrown so much at us that is like kind of hard to get into at this point because we're a little over halfway through and it just seems to be like a pile on of like, oh, another convenience, another thing. You know, if it was just on its own, like you're saying, you know, I don't want to, you know, disassociative states are obviously can be very different and not here to like shit on anyone's mental illness. But this is a fictional book with an author who keeps throwing things at us that are 
really tough to get on board with. And like, this is another thing that I'm like, why? Why does it matter that she doesn't remember? Give why is this even here? It's is my used question. as a way. Again, it, I don't think Gregor McGuire did any sort of research on disassociative episodes <laughs> no, or anything I don't like think that. So either. It's used as a way again to soften the blow of Elphaba being shitty towards Lear. Well, I don't remember even giving birth to him. So who is he to me, really? Even though it seems to me like she is told not maybe not in so direct a nature but she seems to have the idea that he could possibly be her son very clearly she ruminates on that a little bit so for her to have this consternation of over the man she had an affair with that she's going to go all the way to Kiyamoko to apologize to his wife about it well she's apologizing for being the reason he died True. i think is more then the affair, but it's the affair is also part of it. Yeah. True. But on top of that, this is a person that is possibly your connection yeah. to that person. Right. And you're just completely ignoring him. He's treated as like an annoyance. Well, is... I think it's because he's connected to her shame about the whole thing. True. So, of course, she wants mm -hmm. to, you know, to not embrace that. But I don't I don't know that like did this need to be here? Does this do anything for the book? I think it's, again, it's like I said, it's trying to soften the blow of like, who is she really that wicked or not? But, it, but it's so muddled, right? <laughs> like we keep saying before that it's yeah. so muddled that I don't have any clear grasp of like, how is she really feeling about this? Even her musings on it seem to just rest on, well, he could be my son, but I'm kind of annoyed by him right now. So let's ignore you him. You know why I think Lear's here? Why? have another reason for a spinoff and a continuation of the series because there there's another book called son of a witch that's about lear and then lear has a granddaughter i forget her name rain co rain i believe is her name and there's like several books about rain so it just seems like children are here so that this dude can keep writing about this world which I don't know if you need to bring a child into this to to keep your story going. You could have written about other things. It doesn't always have to be about this one family. Like, uh, yeah. For me, the yeah. Lear episode is a clear example of how mishandled the whole is she really wicked or not yeah. thing is here. Yeah. Because if you're trying to humanize her a little bit and say, like, she's really not that bad, why have her treat this child who did nothing except exist crappy? She like she really tries to not only ignore him, but like almost cast him out yeah. of her life. She doesn't want him along for the trip. She doesn't really want to interact with him too much. The only thing like when Lear has that episode where he's thrown down the well at Kiamo Co, she becomes a little bit more empathetic towards him, I suppose, just on the level of like, you shouldn't be killing other kids. That's bad. Not even like, that's my son, you motherfuckers. I'm going to icicle you. Yeah, yeah. So when if you're trying to... It's not like we're trying to rehab the witch here too much, but if you're trying to humanize her in some way, like, the fact that she's shitty towards Lear doesn't help in that respect. And I think having that sort of, well, she was in a disassociative state, so she can't really find the empathy towards Lear, it just feels odd to yep. me. Mm -hmm. Like what so I just become more and more and more confused about how we're supposed to feel about Alphaba. Yeah, I don't know. I had a hard time with this too because I I get that he's like, oh, she's a 
person. She got pregnant from the affair. You know, I have a kid, so I can write more books about it, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I yeah, didn't didn't do it for me. Similarly, I don't know. Good Witch of the Northeast. You you have feelings about this whole part? Yeah, no, just it was confusing and just like feeling like so sad for Lear. Yeah, <laughs> sort of throughout was like my main takeaway. I mean, I think he's like his position like is also tricky just like being this illegitimate son of like a prince and sort of i don't know in some ways like he's protected by sort of not really talking or knowing too much about his identity as pharaoh's son but i don't know that feels like stretching it to try to figure out what's going on yeah to me coming back to the same point i just made before it's a muddling of how we're supposed to feel about Alphaba mm-hmm. when this is an example of her being outright shitty. Yeah. 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 And also, you know, I suppose it's probably another way to show that familial trauma can carry down to the next generation, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, she was mm-hmm. neglected as a kid and now she's neglecting her kid. And maybe that's what he was getting at. But I don't know, man. I just, yeah, other than sort of feeling bad for Lear, yeah. Similarly, I was just like, Mm, not that into this plot point. Didn't really do it for me. Didn't connect with me in any way. Or make me feel like it really really needed to be there for the essence of the story to continue. Yes. Big theme here. Okay. Now the my main issue with Are the we're entire gonna, yo, narrative. We're going to be here for 45 minutes. <laughs> my main issue with th- this is the entire thing that when I got to this point in the book, I was really upset and continued to just be mad just stay mad. Yes. Like when people are like, you know, stay mad about it when they get away with something and you're like, I was staying mad at Gregory Maguire about this. I was too. And there's some like spiraled out sort of uh, effects of this that we'll get into later. But we mentioned the summary. Alphaba is, she goes back to visit her family in Munchkinland. Nessa Rose is now the ruler of Munchkinland. And Frex takes Alphaba aside and is like, man, your sister's like really zealoty. And even Alphaba is like, dad, you like had a whole thing about TikTok machines and that whole thing. But he's like, even for me, Nessa's kind of intense. (laughs) Have you considered maybe taking her place as a ruler? And Alphaba says, no, I've got responsibilities elsewhere now. Nessa Rose is in control of Munchkinland, which has seceded from the broader Oz nation. Texas. Te- yes. <laughs> Munchkinland, Texas. <laughs> they have their own power grid and everything. You know, the they got fun guild hats. Is, they you have to pay a lollipop guild separately. For- Through line? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway. Okay. So, again, Nessa is in control of an independent state. Alphaba has a conversation with Nessa Rose about how animals are still subjugated mm-hmm. in Munchkinland. Yep. Again, Frex has said, I will even help you take your sister's place here. Here's an important point that we forgot to say is that Alphaba is next in line to the throne. She yes. is the eminent throp was like her great uncle or something. And then grandfather. grandfather, for whatever reason... It doesn't pass to the parents and passes to her or, oh, it would have passed to Melina because it's matrilineal. She abdicated. She abdicated. So then it goes to the kids. And died. Right, and died. And so Alphaba, the oldest child in the bloodline, 
is supposed to be the ruler. Yes. But she's like, nah, I'm not interested. So Nessa Rose takes over. And then the dad is like, no, you should really take over, though. She kind of (laughs) sucks. I mean, I know she doesn't have arms, and this is perhaps, like, I should be nicer to my disabled child. But, like, still, she's really intense. Anyway, again, Elphaba is like, no, I've got other responsibilities. We spent the entirety (laughs) of part one setting up Elphaba, trying to set her up as, like, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. You know, maybe being wicked isn't really what you thought it was. Maybe perhaps history has been rewritten in a way that you hadn't considered. Sure. Alphaba is a crusader for animal rights. Mm-hmm. Here is Alphaba with an opportunity to literally take over an independent nation, be in control, make l- rules and laws that animals should be free, have an army to back that up underneath her wage a war against wage Oz a war that against she has, Oz that she isn't thinking she, about she's not a fan of perhaps the most radical activism that could be possible literally taking over a country <laughs> and saying no we're gonna do it this way now yeah and she goes no I gotta make sure Sarima knows that I had sex with her husband yeah that's, instead sorry I gotta go be a vagrant and worry about this those I got to go across the world to make sure that Sarima knows that I feel bad about this thing. Do they have a really unreliable postal service? Like what, what is <laughs> like why the the presence and the staying in the castle for years write her a letter and fucking leave like I what? I, she's just really a fan of face-to-face interaction, <sighs> yeah, I suppose. I like, you know, you can't do these like Zoom meetings and stuff. Like it's yeah. just really the lag She's she's not a, a remote work type of gal. She, you've got to come into the I, office and face your face your guilt in person. Listen, uh, I can I can understand that. Sure. On top of this though, on top of this though, which I had only just considered, how did she get back to Munchkinland, Paris? Flew over on her magic broom, which only took a couple of days. So if you really, if you really had to tell Sarima, you could go rule Munchkinland, do your act, like free the animals. Yep. And then when Sarima writes a letter, it's like, hey, Alphaba, I'm finally ready to hear what you had to say. Pop over on your fucking magic broom and take care of it. You don't have to camp out there the whole time. This ruins the whole plot. I know. The and- whole thing is ruined. <laughs> What whatever point you're trying to make when Alphaba is like, now nah, I get, I just got to sit and wait it out in Kiamoko instead. It's it's it all unravels. I'm so mad. About I know, this. I know, and I think the only reason for that is she's hoping to spend more time with Sarima, probably get on her better side, and then maybe hoping that she would be more open to hearing this a little bit faster if she knew her better. But like. Why is this worth your entire life and all of the animals and everything? Why is it worth all this? I it don't is, know. I don't I'm get sorry it. for yelling. No, no, but no. it's like this is the point that I got to the book, and when I read that, it was a specific line where she's like, "I have responsibilities elsewhere." Yeah, that kills. It's like if you're so such cool. an active, if you you have a golden opportunity, an emerald city opportunity <laughs> to finally do the thing that you had spent half of your life trying to do better for. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Yeah, I mean, and she's like, she kind of likes her sister, but she even recognizes that Nessa Rose is a religious tyrant, you know? And I understand maybe not wanting to depose your sister, but at the same time, 
yeah, I could see that making more sense in in the way we've come to know Elphaba at this point in the story. And then this takes us to our next point, which also made us very angry. <laughs> the shoes. The shoes. <laughs> the shoes. Okay. okay. All right. All right. I'm going to... All right, Chris, so you can save your anger. I'm going to give a brief origin story of the shoes. So... The ruby slippers, as we know them from the film, never identified as such in the book, I don't think. I think they're just called, like, very pretty red glittery shoes that are magic. So, um, at some point, Rex, who is Elphaba, Nessa Rose, and Shell, so are not appearing in this film or book, uh, <laughs> father, he gives Nessa Rose these beautiful shoes as a present. Beautiful and- shoes, so red and so glittery. <laughs> Callbacks. Okay. Right, that came out of nowhere. Thank you, Chris. Uh, her no longer singing on this podcast. Um, <laughs> so, um, you haven't heard the beautiful soup song from the. Oh, right, beautiful soup. <laughs> uh, so she gets these shoes from her dad, and they are magicked by Glinda, actually, right? So, yeah, so Nessaros has them for years and yeah. Glinda magics them while she is in power. Thank you. That is later. Okay. And what they do is they help her balance better. Right. Because uh, as we briefly mentioned, Anessa Rose was born without arms. So she's gone through life without them. And early in the book, when we meet her when she's younger, she actually needs Nanny uh, to help her get around because she has trouble sort of standing up, sitting down, getting out of coaches and things like that, stairs and what have you. Um, whether or not that's an accurate reflection of someone without arms, I don't know. I was I was a little curious about that. I thought that was kind of a strange thing because plenty of people lack limbs and still maintain balance. So I don't know. Unsure. Maybe it was just something she didn't focus on. So she gets these really pretty shoes when they're in college together. And Elphaba is like kind of jealous of them because she's like, I wish I could pull those off, basically. <laughs> and... <laughs> acknowledges like yeah they're really cool and I wish my dad gave me pretty shoes but like I know I'm kind of a dowdy bitch and they wouldn't look good on me anyway <laughs> sort of the summary of but yeah. it's also like evidence of Frex's obvious yeah. favoritism yeah it is it is and she's like damn I really wish my dad loved me enough to give me pretty shoes that's too bad Um, as uh, Good Witch of the Northeast here pointed out years later they become enchanted by Glinda to become Pretty and balancing shoes, shoes, right? Yeah. So, Chris, tell us the fuck about the shoes. Nessa Rose is a tyrant of Munchkinland, is viewed by this, we're using sort of the citizens' opinion of it, and there's even a brief exchange. Yeah, the Munchkins hate this, lo- this Yeah, girl. the Munchkinlanders like really don't like Nessa Rose because of her religious zealotry. Again, to the point that even Dad, the preacher who went about like basically doing Salem witch hunts in kind of a way, but against TikTok specifically, because yeah. those damn kids. Anyway, even he is like, I don't know, she's kind of like... Uh, that's a little much for me, even. And there, and there is a faction in Munchkinland that is against her, right? Yes, certainly a large faction of them, because yeah. it, it, the book goes out of its way to say that they don't really like Nessa Rose, and that is why Elphaba would be almost welcomed back to the throne. There, it would be an easy step again, which is why it's in, my other point was infuriating. Yes, right, right. Anywho, so the back half of the book becomes all about. Elphaba's quest to get the shoes back because that was a big point in the movie, right? 
like she just really Dorothy had the shoes when right. when Dorothy lands on Nessa Rose and kills her she takes the shoes and Glinda magics them to her feet and the whole movie is like you know Elphaba trying to get the shoes back right for, for most of the reason so clearly Gregory McGuire wanted a reason for Elphaba to care about these shoes and it wasn't enough for them to just be pretty shoes I wish my dad gave me. They that would have been sister, fine. They were mine. I'm family. That would have been, been fine. Dumb, but fine. That would have been fine. Yeah. Instead, it becomes this thing where Elphaba realizes that the Wizard of Oz it wants the shoes from Dorothy's feet because Dorothy has appeared at this point and is right. traipsing about with the shoes on her feet. Suppose it makes her balance. What happens if you can already balance? Is it just like they a useless magical give item? give you a little extra luck, which is the explanation as to why Dorothy can kind of get away with a lot of stuff. And Glinda sort of admits, oops, I put them on her feet permanently. <laughs> Shit. Which, <laughs> is, which is a weird and funny Perhaps aside. the only magic spell that actually works in the entire book. <laughs> There's literally a point where Dorothy is like, actually, my feet kind of smell. Really <laughs> off, and this, I, I don't actually want to have them on. <laughs> She doesn't she literally say Yeah, doesn't she literally say like can you please help me get them off because yes. she can't take them off? Yes. Glinda's like only sort of a decent source of <laughs> like whoops. Okay, so again, back to like the wizard wants the shoes because they are a symbol of Munchkinlander sovereignty or power. But are they? Because <laughs> Nessa Rose the tyrant that they didn't like wore them. Yeah, it does not make so any sense. So for some reason, whoever has the shoes gets to be in charge of Munchkin land, even though most of the citizenry doesn't like the person who had the shoes. And the shoes aren't like a relic from Munchkin land. No. That's the that's other true. thing that's confusing. I mean, I think in some ways, like, because there is a point where... Like the wizard and Elphaba like have a chat later. Yes. And he refers to like, you know, it was smart of Glinda to get the totemic shoes out of Munchkin land. So I don't know. I didn't necessarily. I mean, I hear you that it's like putting like too much weight on the shoes. And again, sort of shoehorning, trying to like get in with the like narrative of the, the Wizard of Oz story. Um, But to me, I read it as like. Glinda as, you know, somebody who is generally in favor of preserving the Wizard of Oz's power mm -hmm. was, like, wanting to prevent the shoes from becoming, like, a powerful symbol. So just, like, sent them off with the, with the girl who just appeared out of nowhere. They're gone. Like, we don't need to think about them anymore. Trying yeah. to prevent them from becoming this, like, big symbol. But then they did anyway. But yes. <laughs> even if they do or don't, Elphaba and the Wizard both act... As if the shoes would be some kind of simple. I don't think Elphaba is chasing them because she just wants, you know, because it was her sister's shoes. That's part of it. But a big part of her motivation seems to also be I can't let the wizard have them. Yeah, right. Because oh, then that's true. he would be able to take over Munchkin land mm -hmm. because of that. Yeah, it does not make which sense. Which is baffling. Yeah, I, I don't get it either. It would it... make sense if the citizenry loved Nessa Rose and that right. would be the totem like symbol of power. Or like... if the shoes originated there and were crafted by Munchkin landers and had some kind of inherent Munchkin land magic. If they had, if he had just fucking written that in i would have bought it <laughs> but he didn't they were just something the dad had made i don't i why that glinda put a little bit of balance juice on to yeah. 
And for some reason, this is the central pivoting thing. Like, Alphabet, I have to get those fucking shoes back. That's why I have to make sure that Dorothy is, or, like, Dorothy comes to me under my power so I can get so the shoes back. I have I have somewhat of an explanation. So, <laughs> um, or an attempt at one, anyway. So, at this point in the story, I think it's time to address... Time to address the crystal meth. Okay. So, <laughs> because I think at this point in the tale, the crystal meth is just hitting right now. Because, all right, I know you guys were like, what are you talking about? But uh, there's a point in the story. Let's see. Where are we? We're, eh, we're about 75 pages from the end. This is sort of, we're getting into the, the very end of the book. She um, has a bad dream. She keeps having bad dreams about, uh, you know, the wizard and Fiero uh, and whatever. And she's like, man, this sucks. So she concocted a potion derived both from Nanny's recipe book and the Grimmery's marginalia on how to keep awake. If she fell asleep again, she would be prey to that vision of earthly destruction and she would rather die. Herein begins a point where she does not sleep for the rest of the book. Mm. She constantly talks about being awake and and her par- you can see her paranoia, her sort of already inherent nascent paranoia is only heightened by not sleeping and being on crank the rest of the book. And you know, this is like when she's getting all all up on the shoes and and starting to see her sister as an enemy and it just, it does make sense to me that somebody who is fucking out of their mind on, on drugs and no sleep might start to fixate on something like this. Mm-hmm. And so I, I get it there, but this is like me really searching for a reason or a connection. The wizard is also actually interested in the shoes, though, from my understanding. Yeah, but the I mean, but the wizard, like, wants to retain power at all costs, and I can see him kind of being like, Actually, no, that doesn't make sense either. He does. He know. mostly wants Elphaba out of the picture. He sends Dorothy to kill Elphaba, essentially, so that he basically offers, like, oh, Dorothy, oh, I can send you back home if you go and kill Elphaba for me. And then I'll also get the shoes out of the deal, I believe. But then Dorothy takes the shoes back to Kansas when she does a little. Yeah. We don't. Do we? Do we don't we get that. that? that no, we don't see that. No. no. I guess I'm mixing the. Yeah. <laughs> it does get a little muddled there, too. So I don't. Yeah, I don't I don't understand. This is another thing in the book that I don't buy as like reasonable for anyone to be warring over. Like the shoes become important for shrug reasons. I don't Again, know. I think it would have been fine if they were just an important family symbol to Elphaba after yeah. her mm-hmm. her sister dies. So it it would make a lot of sense for her just to be like, I don't want some weirdo girl who landed on her and killed her to have those shoes. That fucks me up inside. Absolutely. Like that, I don't understand why they didn't go with, why he didn't go with that. Mm -hmm. Get it. Even that is a better reason for her to not immediately take over Munchkin Land, which by the way, she still doesn't take over Munchkin Land when Nessa Rose dies and, you know, actually free the animals and like, so even then- even then, she's more concerned about the shoes. Perhaps the crystal meth potion is part of that as yeah, well. Maybe. I'll even allow that grace. 
My point being is that much like the rest of the book, there is a lot of this overwrought adding of detail that doesn't really support any sort of narrative that was being attempted, I think. Yeah. All right, are we done with the shoes? That that actually was pretty quick. <laughs> I mean, listen, I just like why spend so much time on the shoes, man? I know the the movie spent a lot of time on the shoes, but you could have done a much better job by keeping it simpler. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I needless needless spooling out of something that just didn't need to be there. Speaking of things from the movie, so is Alphabet deathly allergic to water or not? Dude? I would pick, make a choice. <laughs> make a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She is afraid of water at the start of the story, and she tries to not get rained on. Yeah, and she can't take showers. She cleans herself with oil. And there's moments when water hits her skin that, like, you know, yeah, where it, like, sort of fizzles off her. Right. But then she's drinking beer sometimes, and I'm like, Beer is so much water. It is made mostly of water. And then there are times when she's out in the rain with an umbrella, but I'm like, well, there's still water in the air. It's still humid. Wouldn't her breathing in humid air hurt her? It's so, I I really think that it would have made more sense for Gregory Maguire to say, this was a Victor writes the history misunderstanding added to make her seem even more inhumane, like evil and a non-human, like that wasn't even true. She was never allergic to water and just write it off as like, that was just a, you know, something they added later on as like a misconception about witches. That would have been way smarter. Why do we have to, like, if you're going to include it, I need a little more and it's never used against her. Alphaba annoys the shit out of people numerous times and yet no one hits her with a bucket of water or throws her in a river Mm-hmm. Common so, witch getting rid of tactic actually. So like if you, like, yeah. I don't know if like does the Wizard of Oz predate the whole like no because the Salem you threw them in the in the lake and if they sank, you know they. Oh, would, you're talking about the floating test. Yeah, the floating test. So there's a little bit of like witches and water adversarialness in just the the lore of witches in general. Yeah. I, so what I'm saying is is like it wouldn't be too wild for the people of Oz to be like that wicked witch. Let's just throw her in the river. Yeah, I. I don't know. I just found it a little hard to, I just felt like it wasn't defined. And like, if you're not going to spend time on it, just write it out in an appropriate way. Like we don't need to have that. Mm-hmm. Cause at the end, you know, and then if, if you're hearing me say this and you're like, Oh, but that's how she dies at the end. No, in this book, she gets set on fire. So she half burns and half gets watered to death. So it's Water a little burned. bit of both. So mm-hmm. could have just had a burn to death. And also, but sort of what you're saying, Chris, about the, like, people of Oz like could have just thrown her in the water but like she's not like a known person yeah she's not like a known she's not like a you know wicked witch out here causing terror and and I I feel like that was sort of a setup from like the way she's presented in the Wizard of Oz movie is like oh she's worse than her sister she's so evil but like she's not out here like causing like mass destruction no no not at all. so she's Fair so point. this whole moniker of the wicked witch of the west suggests that she's like a looming figure in a way that it doesn't really seem that she is yeah and that nickname only comes about at the end because they call nessa the wicked witch of the east and they're like oh her sister must be the wicked witch of the west but it's just sort of thrown in there which is another thing that doesn't make a lot of sense but 
I don't know. Yeah, back to the water thing. I just really think it should have been like, actually, she wasn't allergic to water. And that's not important. The end. Because it, it has no bearing on anything. Or at least an explanation. Like you said, she drinks beer. There are there's other water content in other foods that... Yeah. So you can make an argument about like, oh, it's like a poison versus medicine. It's a dosage thing. Or sure. Or perhaps like, you know, the molecule content has to be... clear. It has to be purely H2O for it to have the acid effect on her. And like <laughs> when you make it a beer instead that like... I don't know. Like, are beer molecules different than... Lot, like I don't know well, how that. That's not how chemistry works. That's, so I got a D in chemistry in school. Clearly, you can understand. That, like I don't know what the fuck is going on with yeah. molecules. Yeah. To be honest, this was an inconsistency that didn't bother me quite as much. Mm. What I was bothered by was when she was an infant, and Nanny was like, "I guess we can't bathe her in water. Let's bathe her in milk." <laughs> which, that's gross. Which also makes no sense because milk is mostly water too. <laughs> <sighs> but no, you see the dairy. The cells, fat content. The fat content like creates a lipid encasement over the H2O that, that softens the blow. Maybe you're right. But again, <laughs> these are just points that didn't matter. But you're willing to spin out the lore again about Lurleen Miss and all the religions and the unnamed god and TikTokism instead of focusing on the like rewriting of history that assumedly the book was supposed to be about. Yeah, man, I just... Again, I, I do agree with you in that, like, it wasn't the biggest inconsistency, but it's just adding to the fucking pile. And I just got madder and madder the more things I noticed that I was like, oh, that doesn't make sense. No, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. This wasn't explained, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's why it's in there, because it's just another thing on the shit tree, like, for <laughs> Lurleen Miss or whatever. Yeah. <sighs> And I guess sort of like on the topic of, like, which, something that, like, one of those things that was just frustrating to me was, like... What is which yeah. was not at all clear in this universe. And, like sort they, of that term seemed to have some meaning. And there were some trappings of like what makes like a sort of Halloween witch in our world present, like the flying broomstick, which she sort of stumbled upon. It yeah. wasn't necessarily like this is something that witches have. Um yeah. So, I don't know. So, that was also sort of confusing is like, and there's what makes this, you a witch? Yeah. And there's this whole archetype that the book doesn't harp on, but brings up several times of the Cumbric witch, mm -hmm. who is part of their, like, creation story. Mm -hmm. And she's sort of this eternal figure. I think she's even in the grimoire, the grimoire or whatever. And I guess the book is trying to say that Elphaba is, like, their Cumbric witch of the time, but... Mm. <laughs> it wasn't very convincing beyond like she wears the pointy hat and wears black and dresses shitty and doesn't care about her appearance and um uh yeah she is, finds the broom uh, is witch just bitch is it just uh, a stand in for bitch i don't know wicked bitch of the no, east no it's not it's it's like, they just don't like her because they, you know, her appearance or whatever? Like, well, because initially she adopts the whole quote-unquote witchy look. You know, she goes goth because she's <laughs> like, doesn't she just not want to be bothered? with? Like, she's more into, like, reading and understanding the world and philosophy when she's younger. And she's like, I don't really want to be bothered with the trappings of appearance and mm -hmm. and social status and stuff and like i i get it you know you want to keep things simple it's easy when everything's black ask me how i know yeah um it's you know it's easy to get dressed in the morning so that makes sense and then she starts wearing the hat because 
was the reason for that? Why does she start wearing the pointy witch hat? Because that's like a big signifier in the book. Oh, right, because she's she's going she she wants to like go undercover. She's like, well, I'm green, so people will know it's me. So I know I'll make myself even more obvious in a crowd. I don't. It didn't quite make sense to me. She was trying to go undercover in a way, right? Wasn't she trying to like hide who she was? And that's why she went with the big hat and the witchy. Sounds sort of familiar. Yeah, but then again, you have a person who is green, and by the way, despite Oz being another realm, no one is a. Everyone seems to have kind of human or reality skin tones. So, her being green is a cause. Like, no matter what you do, you're the only person who's green. So, which is how Fiera even recognizes her at the start. Like, Alphaba's trying to be like, I'm not Alphaba, and Fiera's like. You're green. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, there's not many, no one else, literally no one else is green. Yeah, so we are left not really quite understanding what a witch is in this world or why it's important. It does, weirdly, it does not seem to be connected to magic. <laughs> Even like though- The one like crux yeah. of a witch identity is like, they're kind of magic. But I guess Alphaba is, you know, as we've mentioned uh, in the first, episode first part of this episode is like she seems to have this innate ability that she doesn't recognize to mm-hmm. cast spells that she doesn't even know she's casting and when she tries stuff from the grimery it works yeah yeah so this is another situation where the magic system is never explained at all and it seems to be a combination of like innate ability and studying in different variables right, and just saying spells yeah which i don't know i think it sucks i think if it's such an important part of this like what why is it not explored more agreed yeah, so I don't know. Mm, witches, who knows? Speaking of the Grimmery, yeah, she did get some material from there that she uses on animals and animals. Oh boy, yeah. Let's Speaking talk about that. Uh, well, yeah, Elphaba. Whether it's actually this is before the crystal meth. No, it's during. Yes, it's before and during. She enters a, for lack of a better better term, a mangala phase, which is very disturbing, and. She starts experimenting with her crows and then her uh, monkey yes. friend, and then she gets more monkeys, and she starts, like, <sighs> grafting wings onto them. They are not anesthetized. They are not out. It's pretty fucked up and also very glossed over, which I find confusing because we have built her up to this point to be an advocate for animal rights for animal rights but then she's just operating on them here in her castle just weird well i don't know that we've seen her advocating for animal rights (laughs) maybe you're right maybe you're right true maybe Maybe she's actually a huge meat eater turns out just like big double quarter pounder burgers all the time because well i mean they they can't talk so i guess you're right she does she does seem to only care about the ones who can talk and have sentience and she tries to make her monkey friend that they just randomly find somewhere who doesn't matter again is just there to tie into the movie because i guess we have to talk about the flying monkeys even though we really don't have to it doesn't have to be her stitching wings onto monkeys why is this part of it yeah flying monkeys could just be a creature in this fantastical world why not that is also what i thought thank you i was like why can't they just have flying monkeys. That seems totally fine. 
It's no. not. It's, okay, not. it's supposed to be like I, you're we're supposed to be seeing the turn right from Elphaba, like fully going into her paranoia and like maybe perhaps even turning on all of her ideals at the last at yeah. the last moment. But like even it's so rushed and and not. Because given. then the whole turning point would be just her guilt over Fiero, right? Like that's truly what is the thing that makes her wicked, quote unquote. Mm. But as the Good Witch of the Northeast has already said. No one else really identifies her as wicked until super late, and it's just because of the association with her sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's real messy. But again, like this, this whole grafting business again goes against everything that we set up before. And again, I'm willing to accept like we're trying to show how the turn happened. But I'm not sure what the point of your book is trying to be. If you're like a little bit like, don't judge a book by its cup. Maybe perhaps there was reasons here. But that's still an evil turn, a wicked turn, yeah. a wicked Yui. Bang the wicked Yui over here. Fucking bang the Yui kid right at the end there. Oh, and it's another callback to Elden Ring. Yeah. <laughs> we got some grafting happening. Um, but yeah, I, the whole horrible experiments on your monkey friends and crow friends is just a strange... What point are you trying to make yeah. about Elphaba? Exactly. What point are you trying to make in your broader narrative about the nature of being labeled wicked? Which is what I assume, like, if you title your book that, you're trying to have something to say about being labeled as wicked or being labeled mm. as evil. I don't know. I, I just don't think it really gets anywhere. <laughs> yes. You know? And the things that it tries to tie in, like this whole... You know, the water and the flying monkeys, like, I just don't think it was well done. I don't think it was well done. I am unhappy with (laughs) (laughs) Unhappy with this. Greg, my dude, I I don't know. I don't know, man. I know know you've experienced a lot of acclaim, uh, but I... I feel like it's because people watch the musical and then they picked up the book and then maybe we're like, meh, but they still bought the book. So, <laughs> I don't know. It seems it seems like a strange, a lot of strange choices that I, I don't understand. Yeah. It is, again, one of the most muddled narratives that I have seen ever, I think. Yeah, it's very muddled. Um Yes, the good, the good witch of the north. He just gave a fist pump here because I will again, as we mentioned, in part one, an incredible recommendation yes. of like truly baffling us to our core about like how <laughs> how was it, not any of this thought through any better. Yeah, another like wow, bestseller, big deal, musical made, people love it. It's like, do people love it or do they love the musical that was made with only the shell of this book? No, he's <laughs> not appearing thin. in this film. He's not. He's not appearing in this film or this play. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I don't know. And I know that, uh, like I said, I know Gregory Maguire wrote many other books after this, and this was sort of his first attempt, at least from what I read, his first attempt at an adult book. So maybe that's where all these problems come from. But I, man, somebody's got to rein this dude in. Whoever his, I hope he has a better editor now, who is uh, like a content editor, not just a you know technical editor, because. I just feel like if other people had looked at this and been like, man, I don't know about so much of this. Do we have to include the piss river from the goddess in yeah, here? Do like, we, what does that add? You gotta have all this, this undercurrent of horniness. You have an orgy in here. <laughs> Why? <laughs> yeah. I just wanted someone to say, Greg, explain this to me. And if he couldn't or he gave a poor explanation, 
all right, man, maybe reconsider this. Because I, I don't think the overall idea was poor, right? Like, yeah. I think that this could have been something. Yes. And it, and it, he just let us all down. And even the Madame Morrible murder scene, oh, right? Jesus. Like, yeah. she goes to find Madame Morrible, who is, again, died seconds before she walks in the room. Oh, it another... seems to be the implication. Like, you oh, just so timed dumb. it just right. That... Mm -hmm. So then she bashes her on the skull and walks out of there, goes to hang out with Averick for a minute. She... And then they have... They have this dinner. Oh, yeah. We well, forgot to even mention Everett because he is so like not yeah. does not matter. He's a yeah. guy. He's part of the school group in a way, but he and Alphaba never get along. They like don't like each mm -hmm. other at all. Mm -hmm. And then for some reason, she's like, I'm going to go see that guy I hated. <laughs> And After then tell the everyone and tell everyone I killed someone. Like what? And Averick's a dickhead, so he's like, actually, I don't give a shit about that. Do whatever you want. I like because he, he's it's like, what a fun story. Yes, you really livened up my dinner party. Yes. Yeah, they have this fucking bizarre. This is another point in the book where I feel like we really just banged a fucking Yui, <laughs> and we just went off of Memorial Drive and into the Charles. We're just dying in a car filling with water the very whole plot quickly. Got sorrowed, it was like really. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, yes yes this is a starrowing of the plot for sure <laughs> yeah the whole madame horrible thing feels sort of like for some reason that like i was not totally understanding Elphaba's like okay i'm really embracing this wicked shit and so i'm just gonna like do it and like tell everyone about it so that you know i mean in some ways i wonder if it's like partly like she's still just feeling like guilt about stuff and wants to be like punished in some way or yeah, like maybe. um i don't know i'm not sure if i really believe that just speculating but that like but i don't know but it just sort of like gets continues this sort of like the reaction from Averick's douchebag friends sort of continues this ambiguity of like okay but what does it mean to do something <laughs> yeah, wicked and I, and I don't i don't understand i mean i guess she's like i gotta finish the job i didn't finish 12 years ago or however long it is from the end of the book and I <laughs> why why does she feel like she needs to finish it especially if Morrible is like practically dead and in fact actually isn't dead actually dead when she gets there I also the whole scene you know this isn't maybe we don't need to waste time on this but I kind of want to the scene leading up to that is she shows up at her old school <laughs> and it's like, yo, I went here. Where's Morrible? And they're like, oh, she's in her little house, which is over here. It's connected to the Madame Morrible Sanctuary or whatever the hell. Like somebody is just like, oh, yeah, here's her address. Here's where she lives. <laughs> and then she shows yeah, up no. and the, she walks in. And of course, the the uh, Madame Morrible's like nurse or whatever is in the bathroom conveniently. So Elphaba is just like, oh, I'm just going to push a dresser up against the door. <laughs> and then I the whole thing just felt so fucking sloppy. And again, what? having her walk in there after she died is oh. softening the blow of the yes, wickedness exactly. again. Right. It's like, it's okay because she was already dead. And it's like, no. So what are you what dumb. point are you trying to make about yeah, this? Exactly. If you're gonna full turn her into like this is why she was wicked, just have her murder morable. Yeah. Just have her say, I'm gonna finish what I started, get a sniper rifle and show up and <laughs> Clocker, like I don't know, I. And then the dinner party scene with like it's supposed to be like oh they're all amoral rich douchebags so they don't care that this a random lady walks into the dinner party. It's like <laughs> I just came here from a murder that I did, and everyone's like oh intriguing. Cool. Like, well, and, and 
then why does she even go to Averick's house? Why would, why would you, like, I'm, okay, I am thinking back to my time in college and someone that Chris and I went to school with who was terrible. And if I'm thinking back to people I might want to, like, you know, on, on upon whose dorm doorstep I may want to roll up. <laughs> and confess to a murder. <laughs> and confess to a murder. It's not that person. <laughs> it's no, it's no, I, I do not, I think, I just, again, I'm just gonna, I think she's just a little necked out at this point. I think she hasn't slept in weeks. <laughs> so her decision-making skills are just out the window. I think she's totally rattled, paranoia, ratcheted up because of the meth. And, you know, maybe that maybe that's why none of this makes sense because she's so off her rocker. So that is it a don't do drug story? Is it just meth. is it just like don't start drinking meth potions? Like, is that the point of the story? Don't do speed. The story yeah. of Wicked. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. So. Oh, sorry. I found an explanation. Okay. Okay. Let's Please hear it. Us. Let's hear it. As the afternoon wore on, however, she began to worry. What if there was a cover up? What if the current head, to avoid a scandal, hushed up the news of the assault, especially a crime against one so close to the emperor? Oh, right, because the wizard named himself emperor. Oh, right, right. Real tyranny emperor there, too. Emperor of Oz. Emperor of Oz. The witch began to fret that she would be denied credit for her deed. She racked her brains for someone to confess to, someone who would be sure to rush to the authorities. What about Crope? Or Shenshen? Or Fenay? Or for that matter, the Margrave of Ten Meadows? Nasty Averick. Yeah, but you could also, like... That still doesn't work. For but, me. Then she goes to, <laughs> but then she goes there, to Averick and Averick's... I'm providing some textual. Yes, thank you. Thank you. But then she goes to Averick and Averick's is like, I'm not going to tell fuck anyone. Yeah, he's like, I don't give a shit. He's like, I don't give a shit. That old yeah. bat, So whatever. why does she leave and go to find someone else to confess to? Yeah, why doesn't she, I don't know, go to the nearest newspaper office and be like, yo, I killed someone. Interview me about it. Like that, I mean, not that I would accept any of this really, but that would make. Some Leave a note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the wicked witch of the West did it. Like, I, I guess a... you know the emperor would cover it up or something. I don't know. Like, paint it on the know. walls of the city. Yeah. Like, I, this is this was me. Like, I don't. It just feels like another weird setup to be like, let's talk about good versus evil. <gasps> like, yes. It's so... Yes. <laughs> it's so. Oh, it's okay. So, so can we talk about it? No, it's no. <laughs> so contrived. This whole book is so fucking contrived. Everything is just conveniently there. There's no real reason for it to be there or for a person to be here or make this decision. It's all, he just needs it all work. And so he's fucking going to make it work. Get <laughs> Listen, in there. You're going to put these plot shoes on your feet. And I'm going to glue them there. Okay? Just a gun to Dorothy's head. You're going to take the shoes. I don't know, Greg. They're really That's... stinky. <laughs> My feet hurt. I don't care. And you're going to be friends with this lion and this turn man? Who are they? I don't care. <laughs> I make it work. Okay. Um, anything else? Oh, yeah. To... Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, please. All right. So the very end. All right. The whole book, we've been establishing that the wizard is a tyrannical asshole. He doesn't give a shit about anything except his own power and controlling everything. Even the few times that we get sort of a one-on-one -on -one or a one-on-two situation where we're actually hearing him talk and not, like, a third-party perspective of him, he still sort of comes off that way. Like, he, he does not seem to have a very caring aspect of him. We are given no reason to expect that he gives a fuck about anything. So at the very end, we we get, what, two lines where it's like, 
he found the potion bottle and realized Elphaba was his daughter and maybe it's, uh, maybe it's apocryphal, but some might think he clutched his heart before he got in his balloon and left Oz. And it's like, okay, so you're saying that he found out Elphaba was his daughter, he was so sad she died that he left his empire that he built to go back to a world where he was discriminated against for his ethnicity? What? What? Why? Why would he care? Why would that make him leave? I... Ah! I'm still so mad about it because I can't figure it out. This is tickling something in my brain. In the Wizard of Oz movie, does he go off in his hot air balloon at the end? He and Dorothy leave together, right? No, she clicks her heels yeah, and says there's no heels. place like home. Yes. Uh... And it was all a dream in, in the movie, which uh... is another point to the movie here. In the movie, my understanding is in the movie, it is supposed to be revealed that the Wizard of Oz is no wizard at all. Right. But it's in fact a man behind the curtain with no magical power. Right. There was a wizard. And then that wizard, like, I don't know, fucked off or died. And then this dude came in and was like, oh, I can I can fake. I'm good at, like, faking things, Wait, right? Wasn't there a wizard at some point and then he came in and took over? I don't think so. No? I don't remember that bit. All right. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> um, I just remember Dorothy finding out that he's a guy behind a curtain that's, like, pulling pyrotechnic, yeah, like, playful things. Yeah, he's not a wizard. Right. But in this narrative, he does have power over fire and think like he appears as a flaming skull and things. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that he is cool. yeah. he okay. is a wizard. So there's no real reason for him to like to fly away in this case and throw away everything he's done because Dorothy came by and killed this woman no one knew or cared about and revealed that he was just some dude behind the curtain. But she does. I, this is the thing. I don't. If he, he goes through so much effort to shoehorn and shove and 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 make everything from the movie fit, but then the ending is like, what? Yeah, this makes no sense. Why does he leave? Why does he leave? Why would he be sad about Alphabet dying? Doesn't make any sense. Because turns out she was his daughter, which is a cheap reason for someone to be so sad to have a motivation to do something drastic. But he would have, first of all. He would have fucking known she was his kid because didn't he give Melina the potion to render her that unconscious? That was Yackle, and... right? No, 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 no. Different potion. Okay, I'm sorry. So he... my potions. <laughs> a lot of potions in here. <laughs> he comes by as like a traveling dick salesman. salesman. Yeah, I don't know. He comes by and Melina is really into fucking any old dude that walks by the house for some reason. This is like her thing. And... She's into him or whatever, and he's like, hey, baby, why don't you take this? It'll really heighten the experience. And she's like, yeah, I guess I'll roll the dice on this. And so she drinks this potion, passes out or something, or maybe she's with it while they're doing it or not. It's unclear. Either way, afterwards, she doesn't remember. Yeah. Afterwards, she doesn't remember. I think maybe during the act, she's with it, but then it, it sort of wipes her memory. Wouldn't he maybe remember that unless this is just a thing he does all the time? Did he take the potion too? No. Yeah, so... <laughs> so... So remember when you fucked the eminent Throp's daughter and then she suddenly has a daughter who's about the same age? What but, like, she was, that? like, living and, you know... That's true. She was living. Village. Like, it wasn't, like, she wasn't... It wasn't like this was happening, you know, at the eminent Throp's That's house. true. They were living kind of in the back country or what have you, mm -hmm. but... I don't know. I think it's feasible that he might not have known, but like sure. it also. Sure. I agree. But I think you bring up a valid point. Like he would have remembered. 
potentially this yeah. interest. Yeah, he would have maybe had an inkling like, ooh, maybe or the sexual assault kid. that he did. Either. Yeah, Unclear. right, right. And it's like, maybe she is my kid. But again, maybe this is just what he does every Saturday morning. I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. there are too many for him to remember. Mm-hmm. I just... Uh, so if that's so if, if it's like so common to him that, you know, it's whatever, wouldn't he have a bunch of other illegitimate children? Right, right. Does he also care about those all of a sudden? No, of course not. So then why are you sad about this particular one? I The only explanation I can come up with is it actually has nothing to do with Alphaba has everything to do with the Grimmery or the Grimoire. Because Elphaba has hidden it. Uh, he has no idea where it is. And if she dies, then he can't get the book back. And he has no fucking way to find it again. Do we know where she hid it? Does it tell us? I don't remember. Is it in, the, is it in Camel Cove? I think it's in Camel Cove. What a fucking obvious place to hide it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I thought the same thing. And I was like, wouldn't you at least try before giving up on your empire that you've built? Wouldn't you try to find it first instead of just being like, well, fuck it. I guess I'll go back to shitty United States in 1910 or something. Sure. Doesn't make sense. Sure. Doesn't make sense. (laughs) He doesn't even try to find the book. He just gives up and leaves. I don't don't get it. Okay. All right. (laughs) Let's talk about uh, Mother Yackle and the dwarf Mm. and how they... Our puppet masters the whole time and conveniently everywhere making all the decisions we learn at the end of the book. And they're mm-hmm, actually these mm-hmm. like eternal entities that rule fate. Why? Great. <laughs> you just made you just made everything you built up kind of not matter about Alphaba, especially. Is it supposed to be, well, Alphaba's descent into wickedness isn't really her fault again? Trying to soften everything up. So the whole thing about Mother Yackle and her sidekick, the dwarf, who that's just what he's called. He's, I don't think he's ever given a name. They are trying to protect the grimoire. They don't want it to fall into the hands of the wizard. I think so. Is that? Yeah, I, that was what I gathered. Um, but why does Mother Yackle have to be every? Why does she have to be? In, my guess is that. Mother Yackle is everywhere in Elphaba's life because they have to set Elphaba up to the point where she finds the grimoire and hides it again. But if you have that much power, why? Oh, my God. This is always my problem with these, like, super powerful eternal entities that can do whatever they want whenever they want to anyone they want. It's like, if you have that much power, why do you need to manipulate people into doing things? Why can't you just do them? Why can't you just do them? You fucking hide the grimoire. <laughs> what? I thought you were so powerful. Why don't you hide the book? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it, it's like a thing in many books, but a, this is especially like another layer that this book just didn't need. Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. does Mother Yakel have to be involved in everything? Why does she have to be? She doesn't. You could have written this whole book without that. The grimoire and all this shit. Like the grimoire could have just been a grimoire. Sure, it could have been from otherworldly. It could have had spells in it. But like, why does it need to be tied into the fucking Mother Yakel and the dwarf? Why does she have to be pulling all the damn strings? I don't get it. I'd never have liked puppet master narratives. Like at no, the end where it's no, like revealed not. that someone was like truly behind it all and could plan for every circumstance and was in the right place mm-hmm. at the right time. It's always such an unsatisfying device to me because I don't know, maybe it's a worldview thing, right? Where if you're the type of person that thinks there's a reason for everything, there's a plan yeah, behind yeah. everything, you are more willing to accept that that can happen. But I am a fan of the chaos view of like it's mostly random chance and we're all bumping off each other and things happen for reasons because 
of a confluence of reasons that are almost impossible to untangle fully. Right. So to have the puppet master narrative at the end makes me feel divorced from reality. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that takes us naturally into character quality, unless we have anything else to talk about with the plot. No. No, I well, think not we've at the done moment. it. Yeah. <laughs> Until we get all riled I'm up I'm sure again. it'll come back. Yeah. All right. I guess... I don't know. We've talked about this a lot, but the character quality, I don't know. It's just the motivations that don't make sense. Yeah, well, part. And we also talked about, though, how we didn't really love the way the characters talked in some ways. We didn't always believe in their relationships, you know, or how meaningful they were. Were there any characters that worked at all, came across as fully fleshed out and not weird? I kind of got Fierro's position in a lot of ways, weirdly. Like, you know, he his position is like, I didn't really want to be the, like this ruler. I didn't want to be wedded to someone you know, that I didn't even interact with and I was promised to as a child. And I yeah. get his motivations for chasing after Elphaba and wanting to know what she's really up to because he's in love with her. That's about as far as I got for you, honestly, is like that mm. si sort of side character, even though he is the crux by which a lot of the story turns around. Yeah, I feel like we got a little, I don't know, but even all the time we spend with Melina, I feel like I find her a little confusing, too. Yeah, I didn't care about any of these characters. It didn't. I wasn't brought on board to care about anyone, which is another reason why this book was hard for me. Not even in a curiosity way, right? Because sometimes you can read a book that has characters that maybe you don't really like or detest. But if you're still curious about mm -hmm. their machinations, you can get through it mm -hmm. and get something out of it. But this, <sighs> I just couldn't get into it. And it's not as though, well, I guess some of the characters were sort of cardboard cutouts. There were a few corrugated characters for sure. But um, even the ones you tried to flesh out... Mm -hmm. Eh, like, like we were sort of talking about, I think Glinda's a good example of this because she has a glimmer of humanity, but then she goes away and then she comes back at the end and she's like, actually, I am just a piece of shit. <laughs> and you're <laughs> like, okay, well. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I know I, sorry, talked about Nanny a bit in the last episode. Oh yeah, Nanny's good. Let's but, talk about Nanny. And I think there's things about Nanny that are like uncomfortable. Like mm -hmm. she like knows things about a lot of the family and but like that's also what i like about her is that yeah. she's pretty incisive like when she comes to kiyamako she's like okay but seriously though alphabet like is lear your son and so she sort of like cuts through some of the like murkiness yeah some mincing bullshit yeah yeah in a way that i like mm -hmm. um and i think she is also one of the few characters who displays genuine compassion for other people like when she shows up at Kiyamako she actually like pays attention to Lear yeah. and I mean I think similarly even like with Alphabet at the beginning you know she helps try to figure out sort of like how to like help her socialize with other children yeah. and how to get Melina engaged in her care and then you know she's really you know responsible for like helping create accessibility for Nessa Rose right um and on the other side of that I agree with you and on the other side of that I think there are times when Nanny is kind of like realistically shitty, you know, mm -hmm. like when she calls Mel in a slut or when she 
I think she says some kind of off off stuff about maybe Nessa Rose's disability or something about people of differing ethnicities towards the end. Mm-hmm. But it seems mm-hmm. like realistic, like kind of a, you know, somebody who's not from this era, mm-hmm. you know, maybe. And it doesn't come across as sort of um supporting those ideas like in other parts of the book where I sort of do get, <laughs> get a sense that we are advocating for some shitty things, but with Nanny, it really does come across as like a complex human character. So, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I think Nanny might have been the only character that was fully humanized, which is weird because wasn't this whole project about humanizing the Wicked Witch? And that's a point that our good witch of the Northeast brought up way back in part one of this episode, yeah. which you people have heard two weeks ago <laughs> at this point. But for all the time that we're supposed to be getting more of a rich detail with Elphaba, her character is ultimately extremely muddled in a way that's not the interesting, this is a gray person with many sides. It's a confusion of motivations instead. Yeah, it's very unbelievable. I mean, we get somebody who just sort of comes off as like bad at everything she tries to do, you know, because doesn't she just, she just fails at everything, right? Mm -hmm. Which I don't. And that's not what I think is bad. I think it's actually good that we get a, a main character who just fucking kind of sucks, like isn't very good at anything she tries to do, because that's that's realistic. A lot of times you go through a lot of failure in life. Um, a lot of people do, and I think that's fine. But she's also not a very good like friend or family member or parent or student. And ultimately, she just like spirals you know makes weird decisions gets addicted to a drug and dies from her paranoia and inability to care about things beyond whatever she's like obsessing over at the moment Mm -hmm. you know and of course i'm not saying that to humanize a character it needs to be all fucking sunshine and roses like no absolutely not you need to have some negativity in there but this just wasn't effective for me this particular combination like chris said of like motivations and decisions and I just I don't know man I just didn't I didn't believe it so much of this book I had a hard time signing on to it's the dime turn on the animals rights thing it is the fixation on the shoes yeah and as like a symbol of munchkin land power instead of just as a symbol of her sister and her family that makes it a very confusing, muddled way to explore, you know, the turn into wickedness. Anyway, what else do we have to say about characters? I liked Bach when they were in school. Yeah. Yeah. But then he comes back and it's weird later. So I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) The main point for character quality here being that the examination of Elphaba, which is assumedly the whole point of the book, is squandered. Yeah, with how so. muddled and weird and contrived her motivations become, mm-hmm. and contrived the whole book is really. Yes, I just, I just can't believe this ends with like, I'm gonna murder my teacher from 15 years ago, and then tell this guy I hate and all of his friends because I'm embracing being evil for reasons. Now I'm gonna do drugs and sew wings onto monkeys and get real obsessed about a shoe. For That's geopolitical reasons instead of, you know, a very humanizing because right. of my family reasons. Yeah. That's how we end. <sighs> very unsatisfying overall. I don't know. Do we want to go with should this exist? Should we talk about that part? Sure. Quick score on the on Terrible's presence here. Negative one. 
Yeah, negative one. Negative one. Heart negative one. Treblo is here. Treblo is yes. Yeah. Tendrils everywhere. Embedded. He has like his chaos presence is what why this plot is completely nonsensical because the tendrils are just everywhere making things. Yeah, Rebecca, do you feel like you have a parasite in you now, like a little Treblo? He's in there. He's in there. A little bit. Yeah. You're welcome. Sure, this exists. I, the idea is fine, right? Like, it, I, I totally get why you'd want to write a narrative about the Wicked Witch of the West from the Oz story. Yeah, I mean, well, I personally find it really weird how ever, America is so attached to the Wizard of Oz. I mean, I kind of get it. Weirdly, we have had to talk about this before because we read something it's like lessons from oz yeah, it was like little the for like 40 lessons from oz and it was just like a little there would be a quote at the start of the, the chapter mm. and mm -hmm. draw some relevance to the movie which was also contrived it was a really garbage garbage attempt i don't know what that person was thinking but i do understand that this was a movie that kind of took over people's imaginations because we didn't have a lot of films at that time, right? When it first came out, it was in color. It had sound. It was a big deal. Was it 39? I don't remember. It was pretty early. It was always, I remember thinking, wow, that's a lot earlier than I thought it was. <laughs> Every time I've discovered the original run date of The Wizard of Oz. 39, you got yeah, it. Yeah, 39. Nice one. So 1939 is a, is a long time ago. But, you know, this was like sort of when... You know, technology, media was improving. And like I said, you know, you had a colorful thing. You had whatever. It really captured people's imagination. It sort of was like, a, you know, uh, right place, right time, sort of a production. Um, and so it's just sort of been part of the American consciousness for many decades. And I think we, our generation, is sort of on the way out with that. Like, we're not as addicted to the wizard of oz although now with the fucking musical maybe it's just gonna be here and the forever. movie that's coming out never die. The, the oh the god never dying um maybe we're stuck with it forever but um yeah it's it's a little funny but i like i like a retake on a fairy tale even if this isn't my favorite fairy tale right like i think it wasn't a terrible idea and especially knowing how interested generally speaking the american public is with story of Oz, like, I get why you might want to be like, oh, I can capitalize on that. Like, you know, it's not the worst idea. Um, and also, I understand that Gregory Maguire wrote for kids and wrote, like, fairy tale like stuff. So it makes sense that if you're taking that leap into adult fiction that you'd be like, oh, I'll just adult up a fairy tale. Like, I totally get it. Fairy tales are, at their core, a very adult media that was sort of turned into child media. <laughs> so it's fine. I'm happy with going full circle. Like, those original... Original versions of fairy tales are a lot more grim and dark than yeah, grim. Oh God, I didn't even mean that. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Uh huh. Uh, whether they come from the grimmery, the grim <laughs> fairy tales or not, um, you know, seriously, if you if you look back on it, uh, OG fairy tales are usually pretty scary. Um. Anyway, I understand how this started. I don't think it was a bad idea. I don't know. And, you know, the question, one of the questions we usually ask ourselves when we talk about should something exist or not is, would readers of this genre enjoy this? And I, I want to say no, because I think most people, I mean, I guess I didn't look at statistics of like how well the book sold pre the musical or post the musical. But I assume, I think I can safely assume that most people picked up this book 
because of the musical, at least in the last 20 years, right? Or 15 years or yes. whatever. 15. I forget. How, what is time? Um, <laughs> and the musical is a complete departure from the book. And we mentioned this earlier. It's like we're in the first part of the episode. I don't remember. But it seems as though the people who created the musical literally just paid Gregory Maguire for rights to the names and setting and then just did something completely different with the characters. There's definitely like some things that are overlapped from my memory of having seen the show once a long time ago. Yeah. Like the whole like Shiz University and Dr. Dillamond thing is all there. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The University of Dr. Dillamond is all there. A lot of the main characters are there, but. Fierro doesn't die. I believe. Oh, yeah. The musical also isn't talking about leathery, sentient pets roaming over breasts. We're not, there's no undercurrent of horniness to the musical, as far as I know. Um, I, I just think it really takes out all the weird, you know, she's not high on crank at the end, as far as I'm aware. She hasn't, she hasn't been sleepless for months by the end of the musical, I don't think. Um, she gets a broom way earlier, right? Yeah, from what I remember, there's more emphasis on, like, actual magic. Like, mm-hmm. from what I remember, there's, like, Elphaba sort of sees being good at magic as a way to sort of, like, overcome being different in appearance. Like, I'll just hey. be so good at magic that nobody will notice. Hey, that sounds like a more coherent plot line I would have <laughs> appreciated in the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope I didn't make that up, but I'm pretty sure that's... I trust you. Yeah. You've been right about everything so far today, <laughs> so... Let's not go that far. Um, yeah. Can I share? So a benefit of having a hard copy book is that mm. I have the like pages of like little clips from reviews. Oh God! Can God. I share one that's just really funny? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Shower me in more pain, please. <laughs> well, first of all, like a lot of these have um, puns in them. So this one's pretty bad. It says a fresh look at Oz's crankiest control freak: a tale from somewhere under the rainbow. Oh. What does that even mean? Crankiest but- control did. Do these people even read the book? I, know, I feel right? like they okay. read a paragraph and write a fucking review about it. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Are you ready for this one? But Oz is over the rainbow. Oh my God, you're so clever, <laughs> reviewer from 1996. No, it's a parable from under the rainbow. Is it supposed to be because it's like the gritty underside? Of yes, okay, yes, I'm, Chris, okay. you've got it. Sorry, the pun just hit. <laughs> little, little late delay on that one. <laughs> I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at this situation. Continue. <laughs> I'm sorry. And then from this other review, children, children of all ages, as Maguire reminds us in this splendid novel, need witches. Gregory Maguire has taken this figure of childhood fantasy and given her a sensual and powerful nature that will stir adult hearts with fear and longing all over again. It's a brilliant trick and a remarkable treat. My (laughs) neck is broken because my head turned a complete 90 degrees. What am I longing for? Children need witches. Is that what this book tells us? I, I mean, when did the book say that? I can get the sentiment maybe for like outside of the Fucking context Christ. of the book, like children need witches as an example of like, oh, you know, you can be a little outside the norm and then that's fun. You know, I, I think a young budding goth child, you know, finds some entrancement with witches. All right. But here's the thing. Uh, I would not recommend this book for children. First yes. of all. Second of all, I don't think Alphaba is a great role model for children. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> so yeah, where are we yeah, getting here? Where are we going? Yeah. We going? Hearing that more is like sort of what you were saying about like the like retooling fairy tales mm. and sort of like the role of sort of like the villain in that. But mm. it still it doesn't make that much sense to me. No, I stand the by. The trick of the treat thing at the end is just <sighs> a real... <laughs> 
soft lob over the plate. I would mm-hmm. say. I really think that reviewers don't read the entirety of books. I don't mm-hmm. believe it. I there's so many, especially we're the only ones that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I sometimes feel that way because I feel as though reviewers are maybe given a slice of a, a ch- some chapters or something. I don't know. Do they read the whole thing? I don't believe that they do because I just don't believe they can come to these conclusions if they're mm-hmm. the yeah. oh god um so I suppose it, continuing with so should this exist would readers of the genre enjoy this I think if you were someone who liked the musical and then you picked this up you would be confused and disappointed and probably end up not finishing it like this mm-hmm. is a this is a DNF for a lot of people mm-hmm. and then if you're somebody who's just like oh I like adult I'd like a retake on a fairy tale. I don't know. I personally, as somebody who likes a retake on a fairy tale, did not like this, but I think my tastes are obviously not supreme and other people feel differently. Uh, maybe, but I, I, I guess don't if think you're it into does the that horny part, But I'm sure there's better examples of horny retellings. Of oh, you fairy mean fairy tales? Do you remember the one we read? Yes, I do. Yeah, we don't, let's never let's, speak of it again. Yeah. <laughs> She's dead now. We're safe. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. Mm, I. From what I've seen online, the general sentiment of the book now seems to be that ain't great. So I don't think yeah. it's a genre yeah. would enjoy it. I'm gonna go with a no. Um, so do we feel as though the author's goal was met? I feel like we already talked. No, about No, absolutely no, not. No, absolutely. No, like no. If, if you're trying to have any sort of digging into the depths of a character and like what is good versus evil who gets to write that story that was so confused here that i don't see how the goal was met yeah i mean all i saw about his goal with this book was to humanize the wicked witch of the west and ah, i don't i don't know that he did because it didn't make sense to me and like Mm -hmm. People are confusing, complicated creatures, but usually if you have somebody lay it all out for you, you can at least understand how someone gets to a certain point in their life, makes a really horrible choice, does horrible things. And I I didn't believe it. It didn't make sense. I'm going to go back again to the major point for me being you have the opportunity to do something for something that the book built up as central to your character, fighting for equality. Perhaps you do wicked stuff in the name of that. And when she has an opportunity to do things in the name of that, so you can understand her motivations, that's not used at all. <sighs> nope. Nope. It's not. All right. Does it add anything new, interesting, or novel? I mean... The premise, I yeah, suppose. Like, you know, of. like... like uh, but even, like, that's just the, the elevator pitch, right? Like, mm-hmm. does it add anything novel within the text? No. Unless it was, this was like one of the first examples of horniness being injected into fairy tales, which absolutely is not. I can tell you. No. Right. I mean, he did give. He did certainly give a backstory to Oz. And, and to be fair, I've never read L. Frank Baum's mm-hmm. original works. I, I don't know what the original Oz was conceived of. I don't know if this really does a service to it or not. But he did. I don't know. He added a little bit to the lore. I don't know if that's a good thing. I'd agree with that. I don't. I have also have not read L. Frank Baum, but definitely, yeah, sort of like some of the like other realms of Oz beyond Munchkinland and some of the history. And I mean, I think you know, sort of really, you know, the 
the way that the wizard was recast as a tyrant, I mean, I think is interesting and important to like think about power, you know, sort of yeah. in the context of Wizard of Oz. But I think those are little kernels compared to. Yeah. I'm willing to give some minor grace on this point specifically of mm -hmm. should this exist again for the same reason that the concept itself is a pretty good idea to work with. Yeah, I I'm I think I already said this a few moments ago, but I, I mean, personally, I don't give a shit about the Wizard of Oz. It's not a story mm -hmm. that gels with me that I relate to. I don't I think we can really move on from this in the American zeitgeist. <laughs> but, you know, we've got stories from all over the world, but we're still focusing on this. You know, this thing some guy wrote 150 years ago or 100 and not that actually. What year is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's 2023. Uh, so it's I don't know when the book came out. So um, the movie was only like 90 years old at this point. Yeah, I think I want to say this was late 19th century. L. Frank Baum's books. I want to say. Wizard of Oz was published in 1900. 1900, right? Okay. All right. So yeah, I was almost, I failed by a year. Yeah. Failed by a year. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and the music, The Wizard of Oz was a stage musical first. Oh, hmm. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Interesting. Well, did it take something from us? Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Resounding. My soul. <laughs> Our time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a long one. Okay. It was so... long. Let me just say... Kudos to the Good Witch of the Northeast yes. for thank you for joining us in on this. Oh. Like, how does it how does it feel? Now we interview you. Ha -ha. <laughs> I felt profoundly relieved upon finishing the book. Yeah, deep relief. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Now I just feel done. I can yeah. leave it behind. Would you ever do this again of your own free will? Read a terrible book? It, yes. Um, maybe. <laughs> Depends on what it is. Yeah. I think um this was particularly a tough go for like a a first timer <laughs> because it was so long. Mm -hmm. It was almost five hundred pages. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Kind of a long haul. Yeah. Indeed. We appreciate your efforts. Thank you. Well, thank for, you for taking the suggestion. Yes. Um uh, it was yeah. a suggestion that had been long ago given to us that we got around to and hey, we made two episodes out of it. So you know what? Really Yo, capitalizing. <laughs> well, we kept looking at it and going, ooh, that's a good one, but so long. Oh, it's good, but so long. And then we decided, well, it's time. We'll be responsible this year and pre-record stuff. So <laughs> here we are. Okay. Well, negative one. On yep, sure negative one. <laughs> um, I feel like we already talked about, because like, usually right now we talk, can we fix it? And I feel like we already talked about that my yes. my whole thing is like a rewrite with serious yes. cutting content editing exactly. cut the first 50 mm -hmm. pages reconsider framing motivation all the weird <laughs> sexual stuff out you the gotta window. build this whole house from have the bottom the up. <laughs> perhaps have the number of trysts you know i don't know so final can we fix it i would say yeah, yeah. Come up with your name for your main character a little bit better. Oh, uh, yeah. So, so did, remember did, when we referenced early in part one, like we'll talk about how the name was begotten. Mm. Turns out mm. from your reading of some extra ephemera, Paris. <laughs> so, all right. Before I reveal, did anyone else feel Elphaba's name was just didn't come out of your mouth right? It was just I didn't like it. I don't know if anybody else felt that way. That's just a me thing. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Chris? It just sounded like el elephant to me. Uh -huh. Yeah, I didn't. I just 
it sounded kind of clunky. Elf, elfy, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah, it just sounded kind of witchy, kind of clunky. I didn't. I was like, what a what a strange choice of a fantasy name for your main character. Gregory Maguire reveals in the appendix that he came up on the name as he was looking at a copy of The Wizard of Oz. The initials of L. Frank Baum or LFB. What do you get? Alphaba. Mm. <laughs> I don't love it. Real uh, no. corny way to go around it. So, you know, just redo that one indicative from the ground up of the thought level that was put into this and maybe just a couple more hours on a few of these ideas yeah keep I it just... in the oven a little bit longer it's underbaked well, that's my paul Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this has got a soggy bottom <laughs> <laughs> and yet also overworked yeah some it's tough and a soggy bottom how did this happen how did you do both things wrong um just shaking her head. Yeah, like you needed it for too long, underproved it, and underbaked it, so it's still it's all fucked. But like, so sort of related. I I was reading, you know, because I don't know. Usually we don't do a lot of background reading on the authors because we don't want to color our expectations or our perception of the book. But after we had been done, we were putting our notes together. I was like, I just I need a little more, which is why I read the appendix, and then I read. I forget. I actually don't think this was in the appendix. I think this was like a blog he had posted about his writing process because coming out of this feeling like this book was, yeah, soggy bottomed, half baked, a little overworked, all kinds of messed up. I was wondering about this. And he said that he does like a five drafts before he shows it to anyone. And I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> you need some feedback. Before then, I think. Yeah, maybe earlier, um, but I don't know. Maybe it's like that thing where like you get so accustomed to the demo version before you show it to anyone <laughs> that when you show them their yeah. daddy idea and they're like, actually, I don't think that works at all. You're like, but but that's the only way I can think of it anymore because I've been listening to this on loop for hundreds yeah. and hundreds of times. Yeah. I'm sure you know that feel, Pear. Oh, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. Um, I, yeah, I think we've already talked about how we could fix it. I am baffled as to why... This is wildly popular and why the series is popular. Well, except for the musical. The musical feels like, I feel like I ex- explains it. I don't. Songs. Even the musical doesn't make that much sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't. Good, there's a good song or two in there, right? No, so... no. Well, if you ask me, no. I don't like them, but. I like the melody in Defying Gravity. I think it's horrible okay. and janky. Well. We've talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> I get I get the point. Like, you know, you hit the high note on Defying Gravity and then it comes down. It's like a little. All right. Okay. <laughs> I see. <laughs> okay. We're getting a wrap it up wand yeah. Uh, yeah. wanding over here from the Good Witch of the Northeast. Okay. Well, I've fallen under that spell and now. The NDA you. spell. <laughs> we can't discuss this anymore. Okay. Well, thank you, Good Witch of the Northeast, for providing us with solid material to work with. Here. Yeah. I think we had a, a far better discussion with you here than were it just Chris and I screaming at each other for two hours. <laughs> good. Thank you for taking the suggestion and for inviting me to join you. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic time. We had a fantastic time. And thank you to our patrons like our bad bookworms, Emily, Ben, Bleach, Black, Cat, Renee, Scott, H, Donnie, Anya, Lycoris, Jakob, Jared, and Will. 
Our exacting editors, Rudy Bo Booty, The Ugly One, Emmy, Harry Seven, Funny Robot with Antennas, David, Martin, Kieran, Elliot, D, and Greg. The loathsome librarians of The Void, The Taco Eating Unicorn, Robin, Beast with the Least, Austin, Patricia, Veronica, Luchek, Senior, and Arant. The pesky publishers, Julius the Nice Dragon, Miles May, and Fred Jones, and of course our Kofi donor, Kiwi Thing. Will anyone accept the challenge to become an arch-archivist this year and make us read a heinous, monstrous tome full of the tendrils of our Dark Lord, much like this one? So I guess technically the Good Witch of the Northeast is an arch-archivist in a way. Turns out you can jump the line a little bit if you're good friends. If you're geographically close to us in some way. If you're geographically close to me frequently, I suppose. Yes. uh... (laughs) Literally physically present but yeah if you want to be an arc archivist and uh make us do an extra long and special two-part episode give us your money that's how this works give us your money okay thank you very much for your support patrons um all right i'm gonna fly out of here on a broom and then just never come back again but quickly before we're done here paris just gut check on this one i need your opinion on this one i'm scared i'm scared i don't know what's happening Wizard of Oz versus Scribando, who wins? <laughs> I mean, Oz seems to be pretty powerful. He's got an actual army. As far as I know, Scribando, mm, army list. <laughs> he does have an army of AI-generated books thanks to oh, his spells. So that's true. You can overwhelm with that. So, <laughs> I mean, I would watch them in a cage match, though. True, yes. I would. I, would do it. I also think the Wizard of Oz would win this case. Scribando just, he only has shitty AI spells. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think he'd survive. All right, well... Fuck you, Scribando and the Wizard of Oz. (laughs) See you guys later. Yeah, we're done with Wizard. Get out. Thank you for listening to another episode of Terrible Book Club. Terrible Book Club is an independent podcast produced by your hosts, Paris and Chris. Sound design and audio editing by Chris, with sound effects and music by Epidemic Sound and sometimes also Chris. Our theme song is Kiss by Yearn, which is, you guessed it, actually, also Chris. You can find more of his soothing synthy sounds on Bandcamp at yearn.bandcamp.com. Do you want us to review a book of your choice on the show? Do you want access to some extra audiovisual weirdness? If so, become a patron at patreon.com slash terriblebookclub. If you'd like to send us a one-time tip instead, you can do that at ko-fi.com slash terriblebookclub. You can also support TBC for free by sharing the show on social media, following our accounts on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Goodreads, telling your friends about your favorite episode, or by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or anywhere else on the internet. To send us book recommendations or your adorable pet photos, send an email to terriblebookclub at gmail.com. Pretentious person. No, you're not. Fun, right? Me, me, me.
crunch, crunch. Then nobody in all of us. No wizard that the can wizard. fuck me like Piero. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, that's good. That's he loves good. me in <coughs> all my ways. You've been my purple pubes. <laughs> Loathing, unadulterated loathing, <laughs> is actually one of the songs from the musical, and it's how I feel right now. <laughs> There's so much good content for the end of the episode. So I'm gonna be. I'm just gonna start with okay. Precarity. <laughs> Everything's. Don't pay attention to the coffee behind the boom. <laughs> okay. I'll let you take a sip. I'm sorry. I just want the warm bean juice to course through my body and give me some happiness. <laughs> okay. It's just, it's hot. I'm trying to take my time.